Major funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided in part by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years, and by the PSCG Foundation. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, the congestion pricing plan is soon to be a reality. The MTA board approves the proposed tolling plan to enter Manhattan, but New Jerseyans vow to fight on. This is going to be a disaster for families, hardworking families who are trying to make ends meet. We're going to keep fighting this every single day, uh, and we're not backing down. Also, running out of time, calls for Chris Christie to drop out of the 2024 presidential race as he tries to take center stage in tonight's GOP debate. I think it's very likely that you're going to see him swinging for the bleachers tonight. You know, whatever he can do to make it count, that's what he's going to do. Plus, calls for strike. NJIT adjunct faculty and graduate workers overwhelmingly vote to authorize a strike after months of failed contract negotiations. It's not an empty threat, right? Um, we are all sort of at feeling frustrated, feeling disrespected, um, and feeling like this was sort of the last resort. And jury equity, a state house push for new legislation to allow people with criminal convictions to serve on juries. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Wednesday night. I'm Raven Santana in for Brianna Venozzi. Get ready for some toll hikes. Today, the MTA board approved the tolling and credit recommendations proposed by the Traffic Mobility Review Board last week, which includes a $15 toll for cars. It's the first meeting since the recommendations were announced. Officials say they hope to put the plan into place by spring 2024 after a 60-day public comment period and a final vote. Meanwhile, New Jersey officials continue to criticize the plan and have accused New York of overburdening its residents with new tolls. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan has more as the congestion pricing war rages on. The MTA voted overwhelmingly 9-1 to one to move forward with plans for congestion pricing in New York City's central business district below 60th Street. It had added another 15 bucks on top of regular daytime tolls for most cars headed into the city and up to $36 more for big trucks. This is a great piece of public policy. It will benefit New Yorkers for decades to come. But is it good for New Jersey? Depends on who you ask. Some opponents slam the higher tolls, calling them unaffordable for regular folks, even with a $5 commuter rebate at the tunnels. John Samuelson resigned from the committee that recommended congestion pricing tolls. So what do they expect a nurse to do who lives in New Jersey, who has to be in work at five o'clock in the morning and there's no public transit option? They, they have to drive. They have to drive. They should not be penalized because New Jersey has a crappy public transit system. They should not be penalized. The MTA's low no vote also cited pricing. $24. That's what it would be to go in and see your son or daughter or to go to see a show or to go to have dinner. I cannot vote for it. 
but supporters argued the plan will cut traffic congestion and reduce pollution across the region, especially if it pushes more trucks to travel at night when the plan offers vehicles a 75% discount. We fully understand the regional benefits that it can provide, which would be cleaner air for everyone, um, more consistent and dedicated funding for public transit, which is important, and definitely less congestion if you choose to drive. The base rate of $15 charged once a day is a good balance, high enough to make people think twice about driving, but not too high for those who have, have no choice. But New Jersey officials who wanted much higher rebates and pollution mitigation filed a federal lawsuit to block the MTA congestion pricing plan. And while it didn't impact today's vote, it has thrown up a roadblock for the agency's current capital projects plan, delaying a signal project on a Brooklyn rail line. The lawsuit from New Jersey continues to put this funding at risk despite the benefits to the vast majority of New Jersey commuters who use transit even though we're very confident about the merits of congestion pricing, we are now at the point where some projects will need to be delayed because, as the chair said, we can't award contracts funding, funded by congestion pricing until we know that the funding is secure. We're hoping that New Jersey wants to resolve this and that we can start to work together. Putting the politics aside, um, I think that this is good for New Jerseyans for a couple reasons. One, uh, most more New Jersey commuters get on the MTA than drive. Two, for the people who do have to drive or who choose to drive, notwithstanding congestion pricing, we hope that they're going to have a faster trip. Congestion pricing is expected to raise billions to fund MTA improvement projects, and New Jersey officials object. I don't look around to New York and say, hey, you know, we've got problems over here. You should pay for all those problems. That's what New York wants to do. They're turning around to Jersey and say, hey, we're going to stick it to you extra. But New York Governor Kathy Hochul told congestion pricing supporters yesterday. From time to time, leaders are called upon to envision a better future. Be bold in the implementation and execution and be undaunted by the opposition. That's how you secure progress. The public now gets another 60 days to comment on the proposed plan before the MTA takes a final vote. The agency envisions a live launch of the system in late spring, New Jersey's lawsuit notwithstanding. In Lower Manhattan, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. We're following a new update in the case of embattled senior Senator Bob Menendez. The state attorney general is reviewing the conduct of former New Jersey Attorney General Gerbeer Graywall and top deputy Andrew Brooke after it was disclosed in the indictment that Menendez in 2019 reportedly tried to, quote, favorably resolve criminal matters with the officials here in New Jersey. This inquiry comes after Menendez was indicted on both bribery charges and for acting as a foreign agent for Egypt in late September. The AG is describing the investigation into Graywall and Brooke as an internal inquiry, and neither officials have been interviewed by New Jersey prosecutors. To talk about what this all means, I'm joined by Bloomberg News reporters Austin Weinstein and David Voriakos, who have been reporting on the inquiry. David, Austin, thanks for joining me. It's clear that neither Graywald nor Brooke were directly named in the Menendez indictment and or directly accused of any wrongdoing in the Menendez case. It seems that this investigation by the AG's office is more of an internal inquiry coming off what the indictment loosely alleged. So based off your reporting, what really happened here? David? 
Let's start um, with you. Well, uh, we reported that in January of 2019, Senator Menendez called Gabir Graywall out of the blue. Uh, Graywall was then the New Jersey Attorney General, and he asked him um, about the what he said was the disparate treatment of Hispanics in the trucking industry by the Office of Insurance Fraud Prosecutor. And then Graywall asked him, is this about a particular case? And um, Gerbeer, uh, Menendez said that it had to do with a case that defense attorney Michael Critchley was representing someone on. But he did not actually say the name of the person who had been indicted or just what he wanted done. So we reported it as a very sort of subtle approach to Graywall. Then fast forwarding uh, several months later to September of 2019, Menendez arranged for a meeting with Gerbeer Graywall, who came with one of his top deputies, Andrew Brock. And in that meeting at uh, Menendez's office in Newark, um, the senator again raised the disparate treatment of Hispanics in the trucking industry, and Graywall cut him off and said that uh, he asked him, is this about what the other case was about? And uh, the senator said it was, and Graywall said that he couldn't talk about it. So what's happened now is the, attorney, the current attorney general is looking at the conduct uh, in totality of the attorney general's office in 2019 in dealing with two cases that federal prosecutors say uh, Menendez wanted favorably resolved. Um, and in exchange for that, um, he bribed the senator, uh, a, a businessman, Jose Uribe, bribed the senator with a Mercedes. So my question and I'll allow Austin to answer this, is do you think this was the only meeting that they were all having? So these are the only two meetings that were mentioned in federal prosecutors' indictment of Senator Menendez and mm -hmm. the only two that uh, they're indicated to have had. But the, there was one phone call that in January and one in-person meeting that in September at uh, Menendez's Newark office. Because this does seem like an example of Menendez trying to test the waters with Graywall, trying to see kind of how far he can go. Well, I can't speculate to his motivations mm -hmm. here, um, but it is interesting that in both meetings, uh, we reported that there was no explicit ask. That's right. No, do this for me, uh, which indicates uh, something of a sensitivity to what may have been or may be considered uh, in terms of the motivations here. It's clear that um, beyond um, the meeting between um, Menendez and uh, Graywall and the earlier phone call, the state prosecutors had to take actions um, with regard to the indictment that um, Menendez wanted favorably resolved and with regard to a related investigation that Menendez wanted favorably resolved. And so there are people in the office that had to have taken action, and presumably the investigators in the attorney general's office want to talk to those people to find out just what happened. Austin, David, excellent reporting. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. 
The number of candidates on stage at the fourth GOP debate is shrinking. The debate, which will take place tonight in Alabama, will have just four candidates present. Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Jersey's own Chris Christie. One candidate you won't see is President Trump. But despite Trump's absence, his presence among voters remains strong, as a new Monmouth poll found voters would like to see Trump as a GOP nominee. The same poll found Chris Christie as the least popular GOP nominee. Still, with polling numbers being what they are, many are questioning Christie's refusal to drop out of the presidential race. Senior political correspondent David Cruz has more. It's true. A lot of you probably forgot that former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is running for the Republican nomination for president. Still, and tonight as he stands on the debate stage for what could be the final time, you might wonder when he's going to land a blow on Trump like he promised. Yeah, I mean, look, Trump never showed up, so he had to jettison that plan. Political reporter Matt Arco has been chronicling the Christie run in a newsletter for NJ.com. It can get a little tough to cover a campaign that more and more people think should be folding its tent. I've heard a recent interview of him when he was asked, why don't you jump out so Nikki, everyone can coalesce around Nikki Haley? And his response, I think kind of rightfully, was why doesn't she drop out and coalesce around me? I mean, it's, I think you can argue that this is between Trump, obviously. Uh, he appears to be running away with it. Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and then Chris Christie. But Christie's the one feeling the pressure. A new Monmouth University poll finds him unable to catch fire with anyone but the most ardent anti-Trump supporters. The problem with Chris Christie is that he's got a ceiling. And the ceiling is that a vast majority of Republican voters don't like him, which means they're just they're not going to vote for him. It is not an alternative that they're going to look at. Uh, the thing that we do see is that all of his voters are anti-Trump voters. But again, his support plus Haley's support isn't big enough to still overcome Donald Trump's support where it stands right now, even in, in a state like, in the early state like New Hampshire. Christie snuck into tonight's debate by the slimmest of margins in the last few days. He's now switched his debate tactics towards meteor answers on policy, which his campaign says is working for the former governor, most evidence to the contrary. It hasn't given him the lift or the rise. He'll try one more time. He'll see if he can make anything out of it. But by all reasonable accounts, this is the last debate. New Hampshire's the last stand, right? You know, And so he's gonna have to make some tough soul searching decisions. I think Nikki Haley is putting on the pressure for him to make those decisions now rather than after the primary. I'm a little skeptical, but um, you know, he says that this is when people are tuning in in New Hampshire, and he is right. He is right. I mean, New Hampshire voters typically start to get engaged at this point going forward. I talked to one pollster who said it's it's not atypical for voters, for the bulk of voters to make up their mind the weekend or two weekends before the actual primary. Christie is dug in, though. He's a constant presence on cable TV talk shows, and his town halls are still well-attended and well-received. But he's been here before. He knows town hall tourism in New Hampshire can fill a church basement, but it doesn't always translate into votes. And time is running out. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. 
The New Jersey chapter on the Council on American-Islamic Relations, also known as CARE, joined the Jewish Voices for Peace and other organizations pushing for Jersey City officials to vote for a resolution calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Not another nickel, not another dime, no more money for Israel's crimes. Palestinian-American Jersey City Councilman Yusuf Saleh introduced the resolution last week. It's both personal and political for him. Saleh's 40-year-old cousin, Bilal Saleh, a father of four, was recently shot and killed in his olive grove by an Israeli settler in the occupied West Bank. The resolution was pulled from the agenda in Jersey City last week, but will be voted on tonight. In a report from Amnesty International, the group says the fact that U.S.-made munitions are being used by Israeli military in unlawful attacks with deadly consequences for civilians should be an urgent wake-up call to the Biden administration. The Palestinian death toll in Gaza is nearing 16,000. This is all happening while Israel has doubled the number of Palestinian prisoners in the West Bank. As an American Jew, it is extremely important for all of us to come together and express our disdain and horror at the revengeful, oppressive, indiscriminate acts of the Israeli government. We have an obligation as residents, citizens, voters, and taxpayers to make sure that our dollars are not going to, to facilitate the Israelis' policy of genocide. In our spotlight on Business Report tonight, after working without a contract for more than a year, NJIT's union employees have voted to approve a strike authorization. 98% of the members of the United Council of Academics, which include educators and researchers at NJIT here in Newark, threatened to go on strike after demanding higher pay and better health benefits. Correspondent Ted Goldberg has more on the likelihood of a strike that would be the first ever in the school's history. Workers at NJIT are a step closer to going on strike. The union representing adjuncts, graduate workers, and postdoctorate students voted 98% to authorize a strike this week after working without a contract for more than a year. I feel disrespected, candidly, that they haven't been um, more willing to actually come to the table and talk with us about our demands. The union, UCAN, has several demands in a new contract, mostly related to pay and health benefits. Improved health care, we don't have vision, we don't have dental, and those are both very important indicators of health. Um, uh, child care as well, better wages for postdocs, better wages for adjuncts. It's a, honestly a sign of respect because we are doing a lot of like the work. Uh, we are doing a m massive chunk of, of the work and it, the amount that we are we getting is frankly insulting. On the heels of that strike authorization vote early yesterday, NJIT and the union then met with a state appointed mediator for 10 hours yesterday on campus. There was a step in the right direction for sure. The two parties sent us a joint statement which reads in part, NJIT and the UCAN Adjunct Bargaining Unit have come to an agreement on the essential economic terms of a successor collective negotiations agreement. We will continue to work hard to resolve all other outstanding issues for the adjunct agreement and separately for the GSRE contract, which applies to graduate students and research employees. We don't want to strike, but we will do it if we have to. Like, we have the authorization to, but we don't 
like no no one wants to I'm very prepared to strike I think that you know the strike authorization it's not an empty threat right um, we are all sort of at feeling frustrated feeling disrespected um, and feeling like this was sort of the last resort but um, NJIT has left us no choice it was looking feeling a bit bleak at first especially with the contract negotiations being stalled and all these issues coming up but now that people are learning more and hearing more and we're getting the word out and people are um, excited to be involved, it, it feels very optimistic and I'm hoping that we don't have to get to a strike. I am hopeful that within the next few weeks before we reach the holiday break, a agreement could be made. Donna Chiera leads AFT New Jersey, the parent union for UCAN, and one of the unions that went on strike at Rutgers this past spring. She says the strikes among Rutgers employees and RWJ nurses is sending a strong message and a warning. It's saying to management that when you come to the table, you need to negotiate in good faith. You can't just say no with no counters. You just can't say, we'll get back to you and wait three to four months. It took NJIT over a year, um, almost a year and a half, I guess, to actually want to bargain in earnest with us. And it took a strike authorization vote to get there. The Rutgers strike was the first in the school's history, and a strike at NJIT would also be the first work stoppage on the newer campus. At NJIT, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. Turning to Wall Street, here's how the markets close today. Support for the Business Report is provided by Junior Achievement of New Jersey, providing students with skills and knowledge to explore, choose, and advance their career paths for a bright future. Online at janj.org. And Rowan University, educating New Jersey leaders, partnering with New Jersey businesses, transforming New Jersey's future. New Jersey lawmakers are trying to move a bill forward that would allow people with prior convictions to serve as jurors in the state. Currently, Jersey bans hundreds of thousands of people from serving on juries due to criminal convictions. As a result, more than 219,000 black people in New Jersey are banned from jury service because of a conviction. That's roughly a quarter of the state's overall black population. Melissa Rose Cooper spoke with social justice advocates who say ending the ban could increase diversity in the courtroom. The very people in the on, on um, the, the, the Assembly Judiciary Committee, um, they voted to restore our voting rights. So that meant that they were okay with us voting them into office. But for us to sit on juries, it just didn't make any sense that, that the pushback to exclude us from being able to sit on juries. Anton Henshaw reacting to the New Jersey Assembly Judiciary Committee's decision to advance a bill that would allow people with prior convictions to serve as jurors. The measure, however, excludes residents convicted of murder or aggravated sexual assault. That means Henshaw, who now spends his time helping formerly incarcerated people get their lives back on track, wouldn't be able to sit on a jury having served 30 years in prison for homicide. Who is a better subject matter expert than someone who went to trial, lost, understands a lot of the court procedure, and most of the brothers and, and, um, that we were, that testified at the assembly, we're all paralegals, certified paralegals. And so why should we be excluded from the jury pool? 
and we were the ones we're the ones pushing for the for the right to sit on juries it wasn't the ones or or, or people that weren't charged with homicides it was the very people with the homicides pushing for this right. Yet it's a right social advocates say is unfairly denied to hundreds of thousands of New Jerseyans every day. Our jury pools are increasingly becoming whitewashed. We know that our criminal legal system disproportionately affects black and brown New Jerseyans. And by having this lifetime ban, it precludes from 23 to 29% of the entire black population of New Jersey, which is about nearly a third. Emily Schwartz, senior counsel at the New Jersey Institute for Social Justice, believes any exclusion to the bill is more like punishment rather than fulfilling a civic obligation. We either believe in the idea of individuals serving their time and redemption or we don't. It's also really important to note that this bill doesn't do anything to change the voir dire, also known as jury selection process. Every single person in a jury pool has the potential to to have bias. And so to draw this line for these two particular offenses really doesn't make sense because it's the people closest to the case, whether that be the attorneys and the presiding judge, they can decide whether an individual, if that bias exists or does not. Assemblywoman Verlina Reynolds-Jackson speaking on the bill in a statement saying, this bill reinforces our ongoing commitment to create a more inclusive and fair legal system. Individuals who have overcome their past mistakes bring experiences and perspectives that can strengthen our administration of justice by creating a more diverse and representative judiciary. Former Governor Jim McGreevy, chairman of the board at the New Jersey Reentry Program, program and current Jersey City mayoral candidate says the bill is crucial to restoring justice in our state. I think it should move forward and then most importantly long term I think it's it's critical that New, New Jersey continues to bring in as many court involved persons into the full array of benefits that all citizens have. The Senate version of the jury reform bill is now pending review by its Judiciary Committee. Social advocates are hoping the exclusions will be removed so all residents can have the chance to carry out their civic duties. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Melissa Rose Cooper. That does it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Raven Santana for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow. New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. And RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together.